home improvements, home renovations, home maintenance, home repairs, and all the other challenges of home ownership. Welcome to the Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast. Hey folks, my name is Doug and welcome to the podcast. Now, remember when I was talking about the basement and how I was cleaning up the framing and adding sound mitigation to the wall between the laundry room and what will eventually be the home office? Well, remember how I was saying that given the price of lumber that I did not want this to turn into a major framing project? (laughs) Well, that pipe dream is out the window. First of all, Let's talk about the price of lumber, shall we? Now, before the COVID, I remember paying somewhere between three bucks and three fifty for a typical two by four. Uh, For crying out loud, I sound like my mother. I remember when chocolate bars were a nickel. (laughs) Actually, I do remember when chocolate bars were a quarter. I also remember the summer when the price jumped to thirty-five cents, then to forty-five cents. But I digress. The point is that just over a year ago, I would have spent about 25 bucks for half a dozen two-by-fours, including tax. Last week, they cost me just over $60. $8.99 each for an eight-foot two-by-four. Now, mind you, they are mighty fine-looking two-by-fours. Pretty good for your typical home center crap. Holy smokes, there is nothing cheap about this project. So anyway, in the interest of keeping the finances under control, I only plan to do a little bit at a time. I don't want to fall into the trap of doing it now and paying for it later. Nor do I want to touch any of the money that we have earmarked for the insulation or the furnace. So, yeah, I mean, 60 bucks, that's within the budget. That's what extra money that I had for that week. But the thing is, the two-by-fours are not the only things on my shopping list. So this partition wall, the wall between the laundry room and the office, well, I want to move the doorway. I talked about this before. So where the door is now is going to get framed in. And I will have to frame out a new doorway. Well, the six two-by-fours that I bought were more than enough to accomplish this task. And anything that I had left over would go towards the perimeter walls. Or at least that was the plan. However, as I started tearing into the wall, I realized that this was not going to be quite as simple as I thought. The existing framing is... Well, it's not very good. And by not very good, I mean it's not very straight. The wall does this little zigzag thing. I mean, that's the design. There's an 8-foot section, and then it jogs in about 16 inches, and then there's another 8-foot section. Very stylish. Or it would be if the angles were 90 degrees and the walls were even. The problem is that One eight-foot section is broken up by a support post, and the two parts of that section don't quite line up. So, needless to say, this is turning out to be a little more work than I planned, and therefore more expense, and it's going to affect my timeline. I mean, 
shoot, I thought I was going to be finished framing that wall in one weekend. (laughs) Noob. And the reason for that comes down to the workmanship of the guy who framed the wall to begin with. I think some of the wall may have been original to the house from 1979 and was modified by the guy who did a lot of renovations on this house back in 2009, which, ironically, was the same year that we had the major renovations done to our own money pit house. Interesting fact, the existing door to the laundry room had been custom made for the seller that we bought the house from. The measurements and the customer name were scribbled on the bottom of the door. So there have been a lot of different hands involved in this one wall. And now it's going to be going through another change, this time by my hand. And as I undo the work of renovators past, I question whether what I am doing is going to be an improvement or not. I would like to think it will. But the more I do this sort of stuff, the more I realize that maybe I'm not necessarily as good as I think I am. I do suffer from analysis paralysis. I tend to overthink stuff. I will research the heck out of something to learn the right way to do it. But when it comes to the actual execution, well, I like to think that my workmanship measures up to reasonable standards. And I certainly do as good a job as some of these other DIYers. But there are times that I have my doubts. My confidence level actually decreases as I gain more knowledge and experience. I think the expression is, the more you learn, the more you learn that there is more to learn. Or something like that. Uh, Put another way, I don't know everything, but I know enough to know that I don't know everything. So where am I going with this? Remember a few episodes ago, I was talking about this email that I received from a contractor. He was being critical of Vicki Ann from iCrappyHouse.com and Sarah from UglyDucklingHouse.com, who had both been guests on this podcast. And he had said that he was a high-end contractor and they could never make it in his world. Anyway, if you haven't heard that episode, you should go back and listen to it because I think I made some pretty valid points. One of the points that I made was that I thought it was very interesting that he criticized the two ladies while ignoring my own work, which is featured on my website. And quite frankly, it's no better than theirs. Well, guess what? It finally happened. After 20 years online, I finally got a hypercritical comment on one of my blog articles from a contractor. Uh, Not the same one, but anyway, thumbandhammer.com has always been a how I did it site as opposed to a how to site. My goal is to show how I did certain renovations and DIY, showing what worked pointing out what I should have done differently. And I have always welcomed criticisms 
and comments and corrections because I don't want to put bad information out there. And more importantly, I want to learn to do things the right way. And over the years, I've got the occasional email that has helped me correct small things on the site. But this is the first time that I got an email that criticized pretty much the entire page. So here's the background. I bought my house, my first house, in 1996 and renovated the basement sometime between 1997 and 2002. This was the very early days of the internet as we know it. I mean, Thumb and Hammer went online in 2000, and there just weren't many home improvement-related websites back then. It wasn't like I could search for a video on YouTube because there was no YouTube. So when I was stuck on how to do something, I relied on the old school way of asking around, asking friends who had done something similar to what I wanted to do. Well, one of these friends had installed a suspended ceiling before, so when it was time for me to install mine, I turned to him for advice, and um, (laughs) I ended up volunteering him to help me out. So what you had was someone who had no idea what they were doing, me, and someone who had some idea of what they were doing, my friend. I mean, what I don't know, I will defer to someone who knows more than me. So anyway, he helped me out by going shopping for supplies with me and helping me get started on installing the grid, offering a few tips along the way, for better or for worse. We got a good enough start on the project that I was able to continue on myself and finish it on my own. During this process, I took pictures and I composed a page for the website. Now, this was back before Thumb and Hammer was actually a blog. I think I wrote the original article and front page. So anyway, here we are, almost two decades after that page first appeared online. It has undergone a couple of revisions, and I took some pictures of the ceiling grid in our current house to help better illustrate some things because, well, I the, the, the pictures of the other ceiling were the old 35-millimeter pictures that I took, Some of the pictures weren't that great, and I didn't take pictures of everything I needed to to illustrate certain points. Now, I should point out that the ceiling grid in this house was installed way too close to the floor joists, like almost zero clearance when they should be about three inches. And I did point this out in the captions. And there were some other workmanshipy type things that were wrong with our installation, like how we mitered the wall angles at the outside corners or used butt joints at the inside corners. Again, I was taking advice from someone who knew more than me, so I'm not going to fault him for it. Because I was happy enough with the finished product that I didn't know it was done wrong. And quite frankly, no one else noticed or said anything if they did. Because let's be honest here, suspended ceilings like the one I installed are boring. No one is looking up and marveling at the architectural detail of your standard off-the-shelf white ceiling. 
So what this article on the website is, it's basically an overview of how to install a suspended ceiling. A very basic overview, a jumping off point, if you will. And 20 years later, this was the comment. Now, I'm not going to mention the poster's name, but it is on the website. He said, I have done this from the 1970s, and this is all wrong. If anyone working for me did this, I would get rid of them. Ceilings are never put that close to a floor joist. Screws are not used for hangers. Leg screws are used and put as high on the floor joist as possible. Three pieces of tie wires are used on the short drops. Hang a rod on longer drops. All corners get mitered. It's easy if you know how, and they're never off if a person knows what they're doing and never cut through both pieces of metal. That's what an amateur does. Tees and mains are cut with tin snips and nothing else unless it's extruded aluminum. Molding is installed on walls with screws every 16 inches or less and screwed into the wall, not into the studs. If the molding is screwed into the studs, the molding will bend up at the bottom, making it wavy. Use a laser or accurate level and a chalk line to put a level line around the room at the top of the molding. Mains always go four feet apart and tees go in between to make a two by two ceiling. Black grid is satin black, not flat black. If a person doesn't have a laser, just pull a string line under the main from molding to molding using clamps with rubber ends to hold the line tight. Adjust the mains high and lower to the line all the way down the main. Jetline clamps and lags can all be picked up at home centers. Now, there is some, there's actually some good advice here. And I spent a few hours revising my content to reflect almost everything that he said. But at the same time, I can't help but get defensive because of his tone. So I wrote a lengthy response. Plus, I took the extra step and wrote him an email thanking him for taking the time to write such a detailed comment. I was being sincere, but I have not heard back from him at all. But here's what I said. I said, thank you for your comment. I am always looking for ways to improve the information on this website. And obviously, there were a lot of issues with my original post. I have made corrections and clarifications based on your comment. However, I would like to address a number of points. And then I went through line by line. I have done this from the 1970s. Um, I have not. In fact, uh, I should have pointed out to him that I only had a few years of general DIY experience, and this was my very first suspended ceiling. I'd never done one before. And as a side note, you know, if he has done this from the 1970s, that means he has 40 to 50 years of experience. I think it's safe to assume that his first ceiling installation falls well short of his most recent. Just saying. I would be interested to compare his first ceiling to my first ceiling. And this is all wrong. Yeah, no doubt. 
The images are from two ceilings, one that I installed in my first house, DIY job, with the assistance of another DIYer, and one that was installed in my current house by the previous owner, who had apparently worked in construction. If anyone working for me did this, I would get rid of them. (sighs) With all due respect, I am not working for you. I make it clear on this website that I am a do-it-yourselfer, and this is a how-I-did-it site rather than a how-to site. And I would hope that if I was working for you, that you would point out my mistakes so I could correct them and avoid them in the future, much like you have done here. Ceilings are never put that close to a floor joist. I know. I pointed out that the ceiling grid was too close to the joist. I also pointed out what the minimum clearance should be. But, you know, I mean, there's also limitations when ceiling joists are only 80 inches from the floor. Screws are not used for hangers. Leg screws are used and put as high on the floor joist as possible. Again, I was taking direction from the person who was helping me. I trusted their experience. But frankly, for better or worse, I have lived in three houses that have all had suspended ceilings and none had been installed using legs. All corners get mitered. It's easy if you know how, and they're never off if a person knows what they're doing. And never cut through both pieces of metal. That's what an amateur does. Yeah, I actually pointed out that the better way is to miter one piece and overlap. I probably should have also mentioned that when he says that that's what an amateur does, yeah, that's what an amateur did. I was an amateur. I'm not pretending to be otherwise. Tees and mains are cut with tin snips. Now, this was my own inexperience. Aviation snips and tin snips are terms that are often incorrectly used interchangeably. Nothing else unless it's extruded aluminum. This point is well taken. I was incorporating information that I came across elsewhere on the internet. I was pointing out other ways that other people have used to cut these ceiling components. That's it. Uh, Turns out that information was bad. Now I know, and it's gone. So, you know, thank you to this guy. Molding is installed on walls with screws every 16 inches or less and screwed into the wall, not into the studs. Well, we did not screw into the studs, just into the drywall. And I was worried afterward that we had done it wrong based on information that I found elsewhere online. It's good to know that we actually did it correctly. Use a laser or accurate level. I did verify that the wall angles were level using a four-foot level. 
Maybe I should have reminded him that I also suggested that such a project was a good excuse to buy a laser level. Black grid is satin black, not flat black. I was only repeating Adam Carolla's suggestion to spray paint the entire finished ceiling flat black. That suggestion came from his Ace on the House podcast, and he talked about making a ceiling disappear by painting the entire thing flat black. That was it. I didn't even know satin black ceiling grid existed, to be perfectly honest. If a person doesn't have a laser, just pull a string line under the main from molding to molding using clamps. Yep, that would have been a lot easier than the way I did it, fumbling with a four-foot level. But, you know, not having a string line and clamps at the time. I, I did the best I could with what I had. Again, I thank you for your comments. I sure could have used your advice 20 years ago. Now, in the email, I asked him to take another look at the article and see if there were any other improvements that I could make. I, I, I honestly want this, whatever I put out there, to be as good as it possibly can be. But like I said, I never heard back from him. So I don't know if I came off sounding sarcastic. That was not my intention at all. I just I thought I was being rather diplomatic while defending my voice and my content. But, sheesh, can we all agree on the whole, if anyone working for me did this, I would get rid of them. The thing is way too confrontational and unnecessary. I am not working for you. I am working for me. I have not been doing this since the 70s. In the 70s, I was too busy playing with my Legos and my $6 million man action figure. But you know what? The next time I install a suspended ceiling, I will use lags. And I will miter the corners the right way because if nothing else, I am always willing to listen to those who know more than me and learn from them. Because I want to grow and improve as a do-it-yourselfer. Like I said, when I first read his comment, I felt very defensive. Who was this guy telling me that something I did was all wrong and that I could never work for him? Hey, man, I did the best I could with my knowledge and ability at the time, and it came out okay. But then as I read his comment a few more times, I got a sort of sick feeling. I mean, he's right. Sure, he could have been more diplomatic, but I was just another do-it-yourselfer passing along subpar information on the internet. Could I be the exact person that I warn against? I wrestled with that for a while. And unable to sleep, I got up and I spent a few hours in the wee hours of the morning, like between 1 and 4 a.m., revising that page. And when I put a suspended ceiling in the closet downstairs, I will revise that page even further because I will be doing miters the correct way and the ceiling will be installed with the proper clearance from the joists. 
But then I thought about it even further. And you know what? Yes, my miters weren't done well at all. Yes, it was an amateurish job because I'm an amateur. But at the end of the day, it did exactly what I wanted it to do. The ceiling in the basement of this house was installed too close to the joist, but it did the job that it was supposed to do. The point I'm trying to get to is if you accomplish what you want to accomplish and are satisfied with what you accomplished, then is that not good enough? I'm not saying that we shouldn't strive for perfection because we, we should. We should strive for perfection. But at the end of the day, we are the ones who have to live with our work. As long as we don't create a dangerous situation with, you know, structure or electrical or something like that. But yeah, if you're putting the time, money, and effort into a home renovation, you should want to do it right. And you should want professional-looking results. I guess the real lesson in all this is that as do-it-yourselfers, we may sometimes fall short of professional standards. Look, no one likes being told that something they did is all wrong, but how can we ever expect to improve if we don't swallow our pride and ask, okay, how should I have done it? And you know, maybe it is good enough if we think it's good enough, but when all is said and done, we should always ask, okay. How could I have done it better? And with that, I would like to thank you very much for listening. If you want to help me out, you can do so by telling a friend, subscribing, leaving a rating or review. You know the drill. I appreciate every one of you who takes the time out of your day to listen to me babble about home improvements. But who's kidding who? I wish there were more of you. If you have any criticisms or suggestions on how to make this podcast better, please let me know. Go to thumbandhammer.com slash contact and send me an email or a voicemail. Now, as I have said, I am working on the basement. So for the next little while, the podcast may be a little more sporadic. I am not going to commit to keeping up the bi-weekly schedule at this point. I'll try, but no guarantees. I also have no plans to go on an extended hiatus either. It's just that there's a certain amount of work I need to do before we get the furnace and the insulation. It's a matter of priorities, right? Thank you for understanding. I will be back soon with another episode. Until then, cheers. <laughs>